welcome to the How Did That Work Out podcast, where we share, explore, as well as inspect internally and externally, a variety of our life situations as well as others, all for the purpose of answering, how did that work out? I'm your host, Mike J. And I'm your host, Graham. Let's get into this. So yeah, so anyway, I'm doing good. You know, yesterday was just a, a really good day overall. It's just one of those where I don't take things for granted, right? I don't take the days, you know, when they're good, when they're smooth. But my point is, is that I compare so much of what I do day to day to where I used to work, which was highly toxic, highly stressful, unnecessarily. I don't mind stress um, if that's the job. But when there's stress unnecessarily because people uh, don't know how to act, <laughs> uh, people just simply don't want to be courteous to one another, that's something entirely different. And you would think that I would draw more on my experiences overseas instead of another workplace. But the workplace is, I think, a set of fresher scars. So when things go well at the workplace, I associate that with when things didn't go well even on a good day, right, in a previous workplace. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And that was always uh, tricky for me to navigate um, in, in the workplace was um, just when, I don't even know if it was in a matter of ineptitude, just a person's attitudinal approach to their role or other people, trying to, trying to make things harder than they needed to be or not be completely honest as to, you know, why they're not doing their job and not being a, a, a good teammate and it incredibly frustrating in the um you know the, you can engage and try to uh, do the dance you can call it out or you can just walk away and typically when i'm frustrated and i engage i lose lots of friends yeah well and it's funny because i think those three things are almost like the three stages uh, not, not the six stages of grief but like the three stages of frustration before you finally make that change, which is the walk away part. You know, you do try to call it out. You do try to find what it takes to work with a particular personality. And I've done that like all throughout my adult life, right? And even being in the military, you really learn to work with a lot of different personality types, both at your level, below your level, and well above your level. And when none of those work, it just makes it all the worse because, I mean, gosh, after, you know, decades of being able to do this and then you, you're you at a place where, uh, a place meaning an employer where it just, nothing's working. None of the things you've done before and you might think, okay, here's a learning opportunity. You get to learn, you know, something new to put in your bag of tricks, you know, by conquering this one. And I just found, wow, that that just was unconquerable. And when it's unconquerable, you kind of feel like, oh, boy, I, I'm defeated. But at the same time, when you find something that is the polar opposite, you just are way more grateful. I mean, I'm grateful every day. You know, when I have a good day, I am grateful for that. I don't overlook it. I don't say, yeah, well, that's how it should be. Some people might say that, but I never feel that. Yeah, man, I hear you. That's fantastic. It, and I think it does take those, well, I mean, the whole 
the whole premise of the podcast, right? <laughs> the How Did That Work Out podcast. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole premise of it, introspection, um, and to go through that amount of introspection and, and be honest with yourself and go, you know what, I, I didn't come here equipped to, uh, to be able to let alone quote unquote win, but even navigate this in a happy way. And it's draining. Uh, it's unnecessarily exhausting. It's distracting from my core function here. And then to go on and have these great experiences, which are a culmination of, you know, the reputation you've reaped to be able to step into a role that's suited to you and for you and feel successful. I'm constantly counting my blessings on, on things that have uh, historically been, you know, pain points for me. Yeah. I mean, the way you said it was so spot on, you know, I mean, first of all, life's too short, but you still have to put in the time and, and the effort and you just can't run away from your problems. But when you stick it out, you know, two, three years trying to be the change you want to see in others <laughs> uh, and, it, and it just doesn't, it falls on deaf ears, right? Or on blind eye, then yeah, you decide, you know what, there, you know, maybe, maybe the grass is greener elsewhere. And what I found is, is that a relationship at work is much like an interpersonal relationship that you would have. And when you stay in, in an abusive workplace and you tell yourself, just like if you stay in a relationship that isn't healthy one way or the other, you tell yourself, well, there's nothing better, so I better just stick this one out. There's nothing better out there, right? So I better just stick this one out because it's as good as I'm going to get. It is deflating. Um... And I had been in a marriage that was like that, where I, I had low self-esteem at the time and thought, well, I'm not, I can't do any better. So I better, I better just stick this one out because I'm going to regret leaving behind something that was as good as going to get and I'll never get anything better than that. Same thing with that, that toxic work environment is that I felt, okay, I've got tenure, pretty much come and go as I please. I don't get a ton of hassle per se, except when it comes to having to hold others accountable for their commitments. And then I realized firsthand by making a change for the better that you can do better. Now that may or may not always be the case, right? But you can do better. And that's yet another lesson in self-esteem going outside the relationship stuff, which I had feel like I've conquered, right? I mean, I have enough self-esteem to know my worth in a relationship that's healthy. But I was, even after 30 years in, in the IT industry, felt that, wow, I'm where I'm at. The pay is good. The work I do, I like when I get to do it. But, and it's not going to get any better than that, right? So then I found firsthand that there is something better out there, something healthier, right? Something more fulfilling, more enriching, and something that I can participate in positively and feel good about. And that to me is just like a, a relationship of, of any other sort between two people. And that feels, that feels successful. Not, not, not in some, you know, grand epic way, but um, everything we do, everything we touch, we want it to be a success, right? We don't want to waste our time uh, or our lives. Can I share a couple things with you? Please. Um, going back to the um, the motivational poster, you know, be the change you want to see. Um, <laughs> one of my new favorites, and um, I feel like an idiot because I can't remember who said this, but one of my new favorite motivational quotes is, uh, who do you want to be in this moment? And it, it helps you uh, stay 
well, in the moment, so it helps you not uh, become sort of like uh, surrender to any um, thing you just did five minutes ago that, you know, oh, I misstepped. No, that's, I'm that guy in this situation. Like, continue to, to refresh that uh, question and continue to answer it. Who do you want to be in this moment? And when I read that, I, again, I wish I could remember, but that really rung loud in, in my head of like, um, there's moments when you feel underneath it all. And through life experience, you know, just keep pushing. You'll come out the other side. No guarantees on how this is going to come, but you're going to be alive. You know, the world's not coming to an end, blah, you know. <laughs> um, but even now, when you get underneath it, maybe you're overcommitted or something's off. It's like something in the, the cosmos is misaligned. Sometimes I'm convinced it's me, like something about the way um, my my particles are vibrating that day and <laughs> is just <laughs> turning everyone off. And I'm like, I'll just stay home, whatever. <laughs> but uh, but I, I like that quote and I wanted to share it. No, I appreciate that. That I mean, that does say a lot with it being so little, right? In the sense that sometimes it's just not our day and we can try to force it, but then we're not being who we, I would think, not really want to be, right? I think sometimes we are what we think we have to be based on a situation instead of who we want to be, right? Which I felt like dovetails right into what you were saying so well, because yeah. it's, you're receiving some external output and that's helping to mold your opinion of yourself. And then part of you is going, well, that's not right, but it seems to be playing out that way. And there's this constant <laughs> tug. Yeah. Loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the lesson there, you know, just to put a finer point on all of this is that, yes, you should do the work. Try to make anything what, what you would envision, right? Well, and first, really, you have to have a vision. What does this uh, relationship look like? What does this uh, position at work look like? What does the home I want to live in look like? What does the car I want to drive look like? You ha first have to have the vision, then put in the work to make that vision. And at some point, you're going to know that the work is either helping you get there or it's not getting you any closer. But you can't decide that in mere minutes, mere days, even mere weeks. I think that because you could be just three feet from gold, and I don't want to just speak in cliches, right? But three feet from gold, obviously meaning that if you just kept going a little longer, you would have had that breakthrough. Yeah, you're right, man. That is, and that's so tricky. Are you thriving or surviving? Are you keeping the lights mm -hmm. on or are you meeting your goals? Yes. Yeah. And is, and is what you're pursuing worth a little more discomfort, a little more frustration, stress, what, whatever the negative connotations are, is it worth that? Or do you cut your losses and then you try a different direction? And I think that there's a time when it becomes clear. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I want to touch on is there, there, the time that becomes clear isn't the first time it happens, not even the second time, maybe not even the third, even though when something happens more than three times, it's a pattern, right? So then you start looking at the pattern. You don't look at the moment per se, because then, you know, you, you decide who you want to be in that moment. But what I'm saying is you don't take that moment as the defining factor because it happened once or it happened twice. Now, if it happened three times, keep an eye on it because it could happen again. And then what are you going to do to bring your vision into that to alter that pattern if you can? Disrupt it, 
if you can, and, and not in a forceful, vengeful way, but disrupt it in the sense that maybe you can turn that pattern into something that actually changes direction to get you closer to your vision that has a positive outcome. And it's so easy to lose focus. And a lot of this, so <laughs> you and I are speaking from a vantage point of experience and even wisdom. <laughs> we got a little gray on the beard. Those are sprinkles yeah. of wisdom, right? Yeah, I got a lot more than a little gray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got a truckload. <laughs> Each one is accounted for. Each one I can name. Each one's an earned stripe. Yeah, um, and and we're 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 using a lot of words and a lot of phrases that when I was young were just words and just phrases. The deeper meaning was harder to um, really get behind and understand and and turn turn it into something. And I think some people get it faster than others, and I think some people learn. We all learn in different ways, like. I learned through exposure, you know, and it's worked out in a couple of different ways. Like I have to see for myself. It, it's painful. It can, it can hurt sometimes, but um, anyway, it just, it just struck in my head that we're, we're saying all these like Yoda sort of life guiding phrases that kids are just like, ugh, eye roll. Right. Well, the, we used to eye roll when those before us used to tell us the same thing. Now we're, now we're, We've inherited that role now. <laughs> it's true, man. Um, it's it's easy to lose focus on on that goal, those goals, the multitude, the the stack, or the hierarchy of goals, because sometimes today's goal is just keeping the light it's on at certain points in your life, and it's easy to shelf bigger ambitions, and they can start to feel further out of reach. Hip hop, love hip hop. One of my favorite uh, hip hop artists, Common. If you're familiar, and he's got a uh, he's got a phrase in um, one of his songs that says either focus or fold. Just those few words says it mm. all. Hmm. But again, it speaks to the immediacy, though. That you know, if things don't go your way, you know, you're gone. I mean, when I was younger, okay, when I was in IT in the '90s, it was a heyday because of the Y2K stuff. And if you could spell Y2K. <laughs> could get hired on but if you showed any semblance of of capability then you could get hired on for big bucks right and that was a time when it was acceptable i guess to stay at a job for a year and you could either accept a four percent raise or a three percent raise staying there or another company can hire you away for a 20 percent after just a year so jumping around was the norm for younger it pro like me at the time and the older, old school, old guard would start to question, not the hiring managers that are willing to hire you away from some somebody after only a year, but those that you might know in your life that are older and wiser and questioning, well, why are you moving around so much? You know, because they look at that as a detriment. But at the time, it was more lucrative to do that, even if it just... It, very circumstantial. And even if it just prompted your your current employer to op open their eyes and say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, the usual, well, what can I do to get you to stay? Which you should have done before. I know that one right there. That's an entire <laughs> episode, right? <laughs> just, just that um, I've never learned so much about how, how uh, much an employer valued me until I gave my, my notice. Anyway, we can, we can move yeah. way past that. 
Yeah, no, that that's great. Yeah, we should put a pin in that because that that speaks to a lot of different scenarios, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's writing it down. Um, but you know, when it came to the moving around thing, it's coming from people that used to be able to spend their life at an IBM and retire. You know, they start you know right out of college or they start as um, I don't know in the mail room right out of high school or something. And they work their way up so that after several decades, they're now, you know, senior executives or what have you, and they know that they're going to get a pension. But in the 90s, that started to change. Nothing was guaranteed as a lifelong promise that if you provided loyalty to your employer, they would, you know, reward that loyalty with a healthy retirement that would last you well beyond your working years. And that went away in the 90s, probably in the late 80s, actually started going away. But now, as I'm older, I find that maybe because how we perceive time is different when we get older, and I don't want to get all existential, but what I'm saying is when we get older, time does happen to pass or appears to pass faster than when you're younger. Time kind of drags a little slower. And I read something somewhere that says the older you get, the, the more, the faster time appears to you. So time being relative, of course, right? So when you have more days in front of you than you do behind you, time crawls. But when you're at a point where there's, you know, increasingly fewer days ahead of you than behind you, then time seems to even go even faster in terms of cycles, right? So I find that even if I'm miserable at a place, I'll, I will be there, you know, not by conscious choice, but, you know, in retrospect, I'll be there a minimum of three years. Before it was like, hey, one year and I'm not happy, I'm out, right? Well, now it's a, a minimum of three years, sometimes four, and one point even five, and I really, you know, wasn't happy. But I was determined to try to stick it out, not run away. So I think if I were to pass on the wisdom that my kids don't want, <laughs> it would be that there is a, a middle ground that says that, look, you know, life is short, granted, but it's not so short that you should walk away without really giving some kind of an effort. And whatever that kind of effort is, you can only determine for yourself, but you at least have to make an effort to turn things into what your vision is uh, by your influence, you know, by the relationships you make, the way you participate in relationships. And then after that, if there is, if there's no movement at all, right, or it's going the other way, the opposite direction of what you, what you wanted, then yeah, it is time to look. But I don't want to encourage people to say, well, I'm unhappy and life's too short. I'm out of here. I, and they've only been working somewhere for two weeks, right? And somebody told them something negative and that's it, I'm out. You know, no, that's not the case. You really have to put in some time. And I don't know what that would be though. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a prescripted length of time that you can tell somebody, hey, stick it out for two years. And if not, then, then move on. Um, but you have to look at the indicators. So again, you look at the trend. If the same thing's happening more than three times, right? It's a pattern, it's a trend. So in your experience, what would you kind of ballpark as a length of time to spend trying to achieve something before you know it's not going to work out? I think it depends on how old you are, what industry you're in, and if that job's going to land on your resume or not, right? Sometimes you can, uh, and this isn't at all meant to counter what you said, because I wholeheartedly agree. Sometimes you if the flags are red enough and they're flapping in the wind enough, you get out so quick that that doesn't even uh, stay in your permanent record. Right. Like, whoops, bad decision. That's a good point. But it has to be, I think, something like if there's something illegal going on, unethical going on, you know, or or just sort of like 
not HR friendly going on. Do your part to at least notify somebody. Uh, otherwise, you're part of the problem by not sharing it out and making other people aware of it. Uh, but if it's this kind of nuanced thing, or if it's like this one person, you know, I can't work with that guy or that lady. <laughs> um, when I was, I don't know, let's say I was 22 or 23, I was uh, waiting tables and bartending, and this really young country guy, um, sweetest, you know, big, stocky, um, like just unexperienced, I think fresh out of high school or something. And he came in at the end of the shift and I, I was checking everybody's money at the end of the shift, counting it, making sure it matched up to their, um, you know, head waiter duties. And, um, I was like, Hey man, how was your night? He's like, Oh man, I just can't work with, uh, that manager. Goddamn Michelle. And I'm like, what, what's the deal? Oh, she's just always picking on me, blah, blah, blah. I go, Hey man, look, look at me. I go, don't you ever let one person determine if you're going to have a good night or a bad night or if you're going to like your job or like not like your job. She's one person. You work with 200 people here. I go, brush that shit off. <laughs> and I had no idea I had that kind of wisdom inside of me at that age. And I had no idea that that landed with him. He came back to me weeks later and was like, man, thanks for that. That really, that really helped. So, you know, again, it depends on the industry you're in, depends on how old you are, depends on if that's going to stay in your permanent record. But if it's just this nuanced thing, it's an opportunity. And, and you have kind of already said this. It's an opportunity for you to grow and you, and you better embrace it because otherwise you're just running away from yourself. And yet you at younger age, you know, it wasn't like you're a babe in the woods, but at that younger age, you may have helped prevent somebody from making a rash decision that could have had negative consequences down the line. If you hadn't said something, it may have instilled in him that it's okay. The minute you don't like something, you just leave. And yet you gave him another perspective, something else to look at, which is, wait a minute, that's one person, you know, in a group of many, like many. And so I think you also maybe imparted on him the value or the benefit of having a thicker skin even. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, again, context, restaurants are so volatile. You've, you've got to be thick skinned. Otherwise you'll be, yeah. you'll be, you'll be crying in the corner every other minute. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, cause it's a, such a public facing uh, type of industry, right? That if a coworker doesn't bring you down, then there's always a customer out there that surely will. Yeah. Intentions are high. Um, people want their food in front of their face that minute and everyone in the restaurant is scrambling to do that. So yeah, what you that timeline you were going down uh 80s and 90s um my mom years ago like i feel like it was like a couple decades ago mapped it out for me um and i don't know what prompted it or what but um she said yeah you know like your her parents generation typically got one good job and stuck with it for life <laughs> you know maybe changed jobs once maybe right um and then her generation uh born around the 50s they might have three jobs, you know, 80s, 90s, things are getting a little crazy. And she's like, she's like your generation, you know, at least five. And, you know, again, this was, I think, decades later or decades ago. And I look now and I'm like, yeah, there'll probably be a dozen on there <laughs> by the time I slide into my Florida room. <laughs> well, and it's funny you mentioned that because typically on my resume now, I go 10 years back with details of what I did in a particular organization, what my daily tasks were, I wouldn't put that. I would put 
projects that I would have worked on, the role that I played in that, and then the outcome of that project that my role impacted. So you're quantifying and qualifying your time at a particular place. Then after that 10-year span, I will then list as additional experience the places that I've worked, even though they're, they're in the same industry, I would still list them separately so that that is a point of conversation during the interview with the goal of the resume being to get the interview. The goal of the resume is not to get somebody so excited that they want to hire you on the spot because that only happens in fairy tales. But you want to give somebody a reason to want to speak to you, and that's what the resume should do. So my resume, if I were to have a full accounting of my, you know positions that I've held throughout my career, it easily is four or five pages. Even now, I've had to like cut it down to like three pages and that's still, you know, most people say, well, it should be a one pager or a two pager at most. And, but when you're a senior in your industry, you know, you've got way too much to fit on two pages. But when you're younger, yeah, you don't need to write a book. Right? I present to you my resume yeah. on this scroll <laughs> paper. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, you certainly want to, you know, encapsulate that. And, and yet, you know, like my wife, her grandfather, definitely old school. And her grandfather used to always tell her, you know, you get a job with benefits, you wrap both arms around that and you never let go. No matter, you know, no matter how bad it gets, if they've given you benefits, then you stick with it, you know. And he was from that generation that basically if you had that loyalty, they would reward it with a lifetime of benefits. Because to him, it was either that or the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, right? right? Exactly, exactly. But my wife, I think some of it stuck with her because she is one of the rare few that has worked one place for her entire career and will be able to reap the reward of a, of a, of a full retirement, as did her mom, <laughs> which is her grandfather's daughter. So I guess against the grain, they, they made it work, but I wouldn't consider that conventional wisdom anymore. That's not real conventional wisdom. For them, they're outliers because they found, and let's face it, they, they you know, my mother-in-law retired from the state after working like 40 years there at the state. My wife works for the state. She's going to retire, you know, after over 30 years. So, you know, a state position is still one of the, the last bastions of you work there for a lifetime and then you get benefits, you know, well beyond your working life. But I would say that the more consistent normal is that you have to make your place and if that place doesn't fit or you can't make it fit or you can't make yourself fit, then yeah, you have to find the place where you're accepted. And that's what I found is with my current employer, I feel accepted. I feel appreciated. I feel wanted. Whereas before it was like, okay, we know you did all those awesome things, but what have you done lately? What have you done yesterday? So it's never enough, you know? To, to a certain extent, I envy um, people who, can, who made their place found their place, you know, hung their coat, their hat on it and, and stayed. For me, I'll speak just for myself. That's what I've always been looking for, I think. But then, <laughs> you know, there's always that it's to scratch too. You're, you want a little adventure. Um, and sometimes that's what leads, leads you astray, you know, with work or the type of work you take on. But um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. She is an outlier. And that's, that is sage advice. Make, make your place, find it. And what's funny is that you have had corporate experience and you are now a business owner. And I have had entrepreneurial experience, had been a business owner, and now I am a, you know, a corporate employee. And so while we've both had 
similar tastes of, you know, both independent as well as employed existence. Right now, we're at respectively different ends, right? You're on the the business ownership side, and I'm on the the corporate rat race uh, side of things. And they both came from a desire, right? In other words, I, I'm in a great place. I love where I, you know, where I'm at. Um, it is completely the opposite of where I came from. And from everything that I've spoken with you about, you're in a great place and you've broken away from the rigidity of the corporate environment, which I can't say where I work is very rigid. It really isn't. And that's probably why I, I like working there so so much is I can do, I can execute the business of, of Jay within a larger corporate structure. But like where I came from, you had to do everything a very specific way and deal with negative people, right? And deal with shady, borderline ethical tactics from your managers. And yet, you know, for you, there is, obviously you have a responsibility to your clients, but the framework is very loose as is mine. So I think that's the, number one, that's the common thread is that I think most people, not all, most people can thrive when they have a little bit of leeway and others thrive when they have a very structured way of doing things, right? And that even happens in the state. You know, my mother-in-law, she worked at a place where it was, it was structured. I mean, it was kind of like a factory. I mean, she wasn't like on an assembly line, but what I'm saying is the work they did they did it the same way every day. And when somebody new would come in, they teach somebody to do it the same way, you know, every day. Whereas my wife, she's a little more freeform because she's an executive assistant. And it's rarely the same day twice in something like that. And she thrives in that environment. My mother-in-law thrived in a, in a very, you know, more structured environment. So anyway, the common thread, I think, is that you're right. We need to find the the situation, the conditions that allow us to really, really give our best and feel good about giving our best. And it may not be the same thing for everybody. Yeah. I'm going to make another note. <laughs> I feel like we're talking about is uh, frameworks for success. Yeah. That rigidity yeah. is a framework. Putting a little padding between you and that, uh, the, that rigid framework. Um, for me, that's where the magic happens because you, you know you've got boundaries but you've got enough space to bring in your j magic or right. your grand magic right and that's that's where i thrive and, and it's this fun moment and again this will probably come up <laughs> if we are able to dedicate an episode to this but it's a really fun moment because there's indecision there's opportunity there's you know you really got to get your brain in there and think okay is this going to be the usual outcome is just going to be something brand new for me. That's, that's what, you know, keeps, keeps me going. And on that, you want to take a little uh, coffee refill break? Absolutely. Let's go ahead and do that. For more HD TWO content and the latest show updates, like and follow our Facebook page, Instagram account, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at HD TWO show. Now, back to the show. You're also in a creative industry, though. Albeit, let's put it this way. As a web developer, there's rules with code. You can't break rules with code. You can manipulate code in a way that you get the output you want, but code is still going to be the code, and it has to go a certain way 
for it to look a certain way on the other end. But the way you conduct your business is what's the most flexible. But also the ideas you bring uh, with the marketing and the branding, that's where the creativity really flows. And then when all of that's done and, and you and your client have decided on that direction, then you've got to get into the, the structured, which is, you know, the code. I myself also of a creative background, so I love having loose frameworks. Um, many of my managers or bosses or even my, you know, officers in charge of me in the military have said, you know, I give Jay an objective and I just get out of his way and let, <laughs> and let him do it. And, and that's empowerment, right? So you have empowerment by the nature of being a business owner that clients, when they hire you, they're hiring your expertise. And so you have that empowerment to bring to them the things that they try, may try to articulate. On my end, I've got that creativity that I can approach things in a way that works for me without somebody saying, no, you have to approach it this way, this way, and this way. What they say is, look, I want this thing to either happen or not happen. <laughs> and then I figure out how to make that happen or not happen um, without A, B, C, and D. Now, some people do need that, I would think, but most people or many people, I shouldn't say most, but many people thrive on empowerment, which that empowerment is that loose framework. Other people really do need um, that directive on a daily basis to tell them where they should be by the end of the day and how to even get there, right? That's right. And there's every gradient in between. Uh, yes. Some people think they're a A, but they're really a B. Some people have no idea. <laughs> And I think that also, though, ties back to finding a place where you fit, where you're happy, where you can contribute and feel excellent about it, where you are appreciated. It doesn't matter what style you are. Again, like dating, there's plenty of fish out in the sea. No matter what style you are, there is somebody, there is an employer or even a business opportunity that fits you, whoever you are, right? You just have to find it and you have to kind of like with relationships, be patient, right? It's out there, it's waiting, but you won't know that you've actually found it until you've experienced what you know you don't like. Yeah, yeah. This analogy works so much better for women, but you got to kiss some frogs. <laughs> it, well, exactly, right? I mean, I'm in my second marriage, you know, my current marriage, we're very quickly approaching 20 years. Whereas my first marriage lasted eight and I'm frankly surprised that it lasted even that long. But after a failed marriage, you know what you like and don't like. And if you can build your self-esteem, then you can then say, and this, this also applies to the workplaces, you can then say, well, these things I'm willing to tolerate and these things are deal breakers and I'm not going to settle for the, for the deal breakers to explain them away as well, maybe they'll change. Whether that's employer, you know, girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, husband, don't expect that drastic change is gonna. If you if you go into something thinking that you need to drastically change that person or that environment, like drastically, it's probably you probably should shouldn't shouldn't engage. Now, if there's minor tweaks or you think there's growth on both sides, then obviously that's probably a healthier outlook. But I didn't know how to find Miss Right until I went through several Ms. Wrong. And the same thing with jobs, right? I, I keep telling you, I feel like I won the lottery. And to those listening, they might be like, all right, Jay, we get it. You love where you work. But what I'm here to say is, is that it's not a given. 
<laughs> in anybody's life, it's not a given, right? So, you know, and, and my feelings could change tomorrow. My employer's feelings toward me could change tomorrow, but I'm going to enjoy the moment because it's perfect the way that I envisioned it, the way I would want it. Are there negatives? Sure. But you're willing to put up with those negatives because they're not the deal breakers, right? So you're not rationalizing away a deal breaker by saying, well, it's not going to get any better if I go somewhere else. It's just one of those where really, if you, you want a career, you need to look at it like a relationship, okay? And you're going to have several failed experiences with employers, right? Or even with businesses. I mean, I've started businesses and they went nowhere. <laughs> um, but again, you won't know what's right until you endure several of the what's wrongs. Agree. Totally agree. The uh, thing you said a little bit ago about going into a situation and changing it and deal breakers, two, two policies I've had. One of them was disseminated from my all-knowing mother who I was one time I was complaining to her about a, a living girlfriend I was dating at the time. And she goes, Graham, that's not her problem. That's your problem. And I was like, damn, yeah. in your <laughs> face. Like she's basically saying, you know, you're making that a problem, not her. And I'm like, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll run that through my filter and figure out how to use that tool. Get it. And then, the other thing was um, going down that list of things you can tolerate, things that are deal breakers. Obviously, if those things are on the list, the things you're not a big fan of, tolerate and deal breaker, is um, was to not let them, if you've got them in a split column, not let them switch back and forth depending on your mood. You know, you've got to be you got to be steady, and I'm. The, in my tw teens and 20s, I was the king of mood mood swings or fluctuation. You know, all of a sudden, I'm burning it down. Fuck all y'all. But um, <laughs> you've got to be consistent in that measure, too, because it's really unfair to the other party, right? You can't be a moving target. You can't hit a moving target. So how can somebody please you if they don't know what that... Because that measure is always going to change. You're right. So that's really profound, you know, and and to your point about your, your mom, you know, giving you that, that wisdom upside your head that you weren't expecting. My dad did the same thing. And I was already, I think in my, I mean, I'm 51 now, but I was uh, probably in my early forties and I was complaining about a job that I had had uh, at the time and how I wasn't, you know, being paid what I thought I was worth and how I was, you know, having to do all these things that didn't fulfill me and and all of that. And yet that was a job where I had started. I was really grateful that that employer gave me a chance, gave me an opportunity. And then over time, it just kind of, it kind of soured more on my end than theirs. I mean, they still loved the work that I was doing, but it, they were so comfortable. They weren't really willing to change anything in terms of compensation and all of that. So, you know, here I am bitching to my dad about how I'm being so wronged by this employer. And over the years, my dad learned how we best communicate. Before, he would just blurt out, you know, what he thought. And then I would get all, you know, porcupine and, you know, all prickly and say, oh, how dare you, you know. So he, he figured out a way that works best for us to communicate. And he says, well, he says, can I share a piece of advice with you? And uh, at first, I was shocked that he even asked because usually he would just say it <laughs> and beat you over the head with it. Uh, so the fact that he asked, I, you know. Yeah, I'd love to hear hear what you have to, to say on this. 
He goes, you're only where you are because that's what you're putting up with. He goes, if I had a fraction of the knowledge that you have and the skills and the capabilities that you have, he goes, I would be a millionaire. Okay. And he says, there's a, there's a, a compliment hidden in there. There is, there is. And he says, and when I see you at a place where you're clearly not happy and you feel they're taking advantage of you, then you really owe it to yourself to explore other options that will get you to where you are happy and you feel fairly compensated. He goes, but right now, okay, you're letting it happen to you. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I have to tell you, within three months of him saying that, I decided to launch my own consulting practice. I landed my first client, which ended up being my best client. They, we didn't, you know, I told them my rate, which I was like, my knees were shaking when I told them my rate, you know, it was a hundred dollars an hour. And I was like shaking because I'd never been paid a hundred dollars an hour for anything. So my knees were shaking and they said yes and didn't negotiate the rate. They just said, yeah, okay, that's within our range. Uh, so I went to my then employer and said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be branching out on my own. And rather than just quit and leave them in a lurch, I offered then to consult for them too. So not just be your, your regular day to day, you know, you're there at eight, you leave at, you know, five or whatever. Um, this is one of those where now you will also be my client if you still would like for me to help you. And we negotiated a rate for them too. So I basically with that one client, I actually gained two clients, two paying clients. And that all came about with my dad telling me this. And that year, that first year that I, you know, had my own practice, I made well over six figures. That's an awesome dad story, man. He, he did what dads are supposed to do. He taught you how to fish. Right. And to top it off, I wasn't working more than 35 hours a week. So I had extra time with my family. Now, granted, I have to work sometimes nights when you're working IT, you don't get to do stuff during the day, but I could take a day off during the week if I needed to and get the pay. So that gave me that taste of freedom in the IT space where it's like, okay, you know, you don't have to put up. And when my dad said it to me, uh, it was, it was, it was weird. It was like, oh my gosh, it was, it was I don't even know how to explain it, but when he said it to me and he looked me in the eye and said, yeah, you're where you are because you're putting up with it. You know, if I knew a portion of what you knew, I would be set for life. And that right there, I can't tell you what that, I mean, and I just, I stared at him. I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense, you know? And then I acted on it and never looked back. That's awesome. Well, I am glad you had a good day yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's what all this came from. That's yeah. what all this came from. Yeah. Uh, so now, dare I ask, how was how have you been? <laughs> Super busy, man. Super yeah? busy. Yeah. Just, I mean, really strategically laying out my days, waking up early, um, giving myself healthy breaks in the middle of the day. Because when I'm when I've got a really, um, I mean, it's it's a it, I have to stack it up right or something's going to go through the cracks right now. Um, Q4 and, and January are just, you know, coming out the coming out the gate blazing. So I'm having to be super responsible, <laughs> making sure to take those midday breaks. Um, 
and then you know burning some candlelight too while doing it and it's it's great um one thing you won't hear me do is complain but uh just really busy right now yeah so I, it sounds like to me that maybe your organizational you know, skills are maybe being tested at this point because of uh, so much going on at the, you know, at the same time. It's a busy time of the year, I guess, because budgets get opened up uh, from your, you know, your clients. And so it's uh, kind of a challenge to stay on top of what conversation you had when, what deliverables you have coming before the other so that you can, like you said, stack them up. So I think maybe this is your opportunity to grow with the uh, organizational stuff. Oh, dude, I'm hyper organized. I mean, I'm not going to dismiss that. I think sharing some of that on another episode would uh would probably hopefully be beneficial to someone yeah. else um Absolutely. yeah i mean i mean that's the kind of thing that uh it's the kind of thing that allows me to take on you know a project management role as well as a a services role on a lot of engagement because i've got my shit together i've got other people's shit together i've done this thing so many times i know what next you know all all the stuff well, then the extra step also, though, sounds like there's mindfulness there where you are prescribing for yourself breaks. You are prescribing for yourself um, some kind of a, a, even if it's a loose but routine that you can count on to help prepare you, whether it be mentally, you know, physically, spiritually, for your most productive day. And I think that's something that we don't allow ourselves a lot of is, you know, we tell ourselves in order to be successful, we probably have to, you know, work ourselves into the ground. We have to, you know, never take breaks and show the boss that we're always, you know, always working so that we impress them enough so they can give us more work. <laughs> but instead, it sounds like you approach your day with, with a mindfulness of it's not the quantity of things that I do. It's the quality of things. And in order to keep that quality, I'm going to, you know, give myself opportunities throughout the day to kind of step away from it. That's exactly right. And and that includes, and I think we could blow out a whole episode on it, but I'll share a couple of those, those techniques is, you know, I don't, I like eight hours of sleep, don't have to get eight hours of sleep, but you don't have to drag through the day tired, um, schedule a, a nap in the middle of the day, you know, instead of doing something stupid that, you know, that's just a distraction or at least like 10 minutes of meditation, just something to refresh your tired body and brain. Um, the, the other thing is, um, um, sort of mapping out or getting out information that's in your head into some kind of document. I keep paper and pencil. I think it's a really intimate form of note taking. It works for me personally. Some people, you know, will just fire up a digital doc, whatever works. You get it off your mind, you sleep better. That's a really good point. So it almost sounds like take a little time at night before bed to kind of reflect. I mean, I know that's like a, a Marcus Aurelius or a stoic kind of practice is, you might uh, jot down your thoughts before you go to bed, and then in the morning, you do the same right before you engage in your regular activities of your day. So here's a leading question then, and the reason it's leading is because I know the answer, or at least I think I do, um, but I'd like to ask it anyway, and that is, are you the type of person that if you have a morning meeting, do you wake up right before the meeting with just enough time to get out of bed, you know, brush your teeth, 
and you're scrambling the whole morning? Or do you get up and allow yourself some time to kind of prepare for your day at a, at a leisurely pace without, you know, being stressed the moment you wake up? I get up just in time. Do you? <laughs> then no. you did surprise me. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm just fucking with you. I absolutely prepare because um, I know myself enough to know that um, if I'm not prepared, I'm going to screw up that, that real-time exchange of information. Um, I'm great with when I can sit and think and edit a document. I can get those words out real pretty. But in terms of like real-time communication... I have to be prepared or I have to walk that path several times to be able to be effective. I'd say I do both, um, but I don't like it when I only give myself enough time to barely, you know, get up and, and, you know, rush to the computer for a conference call. I prefer to get up uh, with enough time. And like you, I, I love eight hours or more of sleep. Can I function without it? Sure. But as I'm older, I find that I'm l- less comfortable doing that. Whereas if I have a full night's sleep, I feel good. You know, the rest of the day ends up being good. But I'm also a night owl. So I'm struggling there with a circadian rhythm that doesn't match most of civilized <laughs> society. <laughs> and that is that I would rather be going to bed at four in the morning than waking up at four in the morning. So on my weekends, I go into night owl mode. During the week, I go into, you know, normal human being mode and they at times conflict. So during the week, I try to split the difference, go to bed a little bit later, but not, you know, one or 2 a.m. I'll try to, you know, maybe midnight or whatever. And then the next morning, though, I find that if I go to bed later, I certainly want to cut it as close as I can, you know, to that meeting time where I then get up and then I rush to the meeting. But then there are other days like today. I mean, we're, we're recording this, you know, uh, now it's like eight in the morning, but we started at around seven and our respective work days haven't even started yet. And so by the time we actually get to work today, we're already awake and alert and have already gone through our thought exercises by, you know, just having these discussions. So I think that there is an enormous value in leaving yourself enough time to prepare for your day. But also what you've touched on as a missing ingredient is also leaving yourself enough time to close out your day, you know, do that reflection before bed, plan your next morning so that even though you wake up and give yourself more time, you also have a plan going in uh, as to what that's going to look like before you engage in your daily activities, your daily work activities. Not everybody can take a nap during the day, um, you know, although I wish that was the case, right? I mean, siestas <laughs> gained popularity for a reason, right? <laughs> you know, the Mexican siesta, you know, midday where it's hottest, you know, you sleep it away, take a nap, refresh, rejuvenate. But um, sometimes you can't. But I think that if you can't do that, then you at least owe it to yourself, right, to um, have a cutoff point in the evening that you start to decompress. You take, you know, stop watching TV. Uh, get off your phone and maybe write down a few thoughts on paper. Like you said, writing is the best way. And have a plan of attack for your next day. Not rigid, but just kind of like, okay, tomorrow I want to do these things. Then you go to sleep on it, and then you wake up in the morning. You're going to have fresh ideas. Jot them down. And give yourself that time to to really to wake up, right? We, we can't wake up in an instant. It takes It's a process. So give yourself that time to wake up. Jot down your thoughts from 
either the night before or what may have come to mind just that morning. Get yourself, you know, some coffee or your beverage of choice, you know, ease into your day, not wake up in instant crisis mode. Yeah. Instant crisis mode is, you know, just that there's usually nothing good about the word crisis. One thing too, I think by um, writing down your thoughts at the end of the day, or um, even if it's as simple as like a task list is you've made a decision on that item by letting it go and trusting it to remain on paper for you the next day. That's your loose framework for the day if you do wake up in crisis mode. But it also organically gives you the opportunity to iterate on that idea again. You've you've snapped, you know, you've put a snapshot of it down on the paper. Well, you've slept, you know, you're fresh hopefully. You're looking at it again. There's there's a possibility there for um, improvement comes by way of, I mean, it could just be a minor iteration. It could be revolutionary, like, oh, no, that was totally the bad idea. Now I get it. I had to see it first. Now I'm going to do it this way. So there's a lot of little things that happen, you know, with those kind of frameworks. Magic comes out of it. Do you think the same would apply to, like, college student or somebody who works at a fast food restaurant? Do you think the same thing should apply to to those types of uh, endeavors, you know, hey, if I just if I just have to wake up for my shift and go in, do my thing, serve my customers, and, and what have you, does that require a lot of contemplation and planning? Do you think it's hard to say? Um, college, yes, um, you you're accountable when you're in college. Of course, you're accountable to a lot of different people. You know, typically your your professors. And, and whoever's payroll you're on <laughs> <laughs> using uh, uh, fast food or service industry. I would, I, I wouldn't say no. Getting those thoughts clear and out there probably help you uh, adjust your perspective or at least have a perspective that maybe you didn't have. And it's honestly, it could be looked at as a form of journaling, right? You're getting your thoughts out somehow psychologically they're out of your head <laughs> You know, and uh, and they're right there looking back at you, and you can be more objective because you kind of put distance between you and those thoughts now, right? I agree. Again, it was another one of those leading questions because no matter no matter where you are in life or what you're doing, introspection, reflection, contemplation, the simple exercise of of creating ideas to improve that go anywhere, I think is useful and valuable. And the only way you can do those things effectively is to allow yourself the time to do them. So, you know, if you think you're too busy, it's never going to get done. But then again, you know, are you too busy, you know, to watch the latest, uh, you know, episode of The Office, which I know it's not in the air anymore. But I'm saying is, are you too busy when you're doing that? Right? Or could you better spend some of the time that you're doing things that maybe aren't bringing you real benefit to maybe do those things to help yourself, regardless of, you know, what your job is or what your career is, or even what your, your time and your education is, you want to reflect and then you want to also plan for a future. And again, it doesn't have to go anywhere, but the fact that you're thinking of things, you're thinking of ideas. And, and again, that's what the Stoics say, you know, Seneca and like I said, Marcus Aurelius and Plato for that matter. They encourage, like you said, the journaling because it helps you anticipate the unknown, if that makes any sense. But it also helps you reflect on what you've just experienced 
from that day. I, I wish I had more concrete examples of how that benefits other than, you know, because I myself, I'll admit I'm terrible at it. I even tried in the new year to, you know, try to journal every morning, you know, wake up a little earlier and journal. And that lasted about two days. <laughs> Uh, so I myself have to get better, but I also, though, recognize the benefits of it because when, when I do write things down, I feel better. Anything that's bottled up comes out, right? And it's in a healthier way because you're not unleashing on somebody. You're not unloading and berating somebody. You're getting it all out in a personal way that you can even reflect on and say, wow, I really felt that way back then. Whoa, you know, I'm in a better place now or whoa. I'm in an even worse place and I didn't think it could get any worse. What can I do now to improve that? Yeah. Good sesh. <laughs> yeah. Want the show notes for what Mike J and Graham talked about during this episode? Head over to hdtwoshow.substack.com and subscribe to our email list to have the show notes delivered right to your inbox.